Hi everyone, my name is Patrick Akio, and for today's guest, I had Bart Farrell on. He's a CNCF ambassador as well as a cloud-native community freelancer. And we talk about his journey, how he ended up in tech in the first place, because it's quite a journey, non-linear one. We talk about podcasting, listening, as well as starting versus finishing. I'll put all Bart's socials in the description below. Check him out. And with that being said, enjoy the episode. Beyond coding. I was looking at your LinkedIn profiles, where's kind of your job history. And I noticed you came from a non-technical background and then kind of transitioned into tech. Can you yeah. kind of walk us through how that transition happened and, and how you came upon like the tech sector in the first place? Yeah, that's that's an interesting, that's an interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of twists and turns. So yeah, my academic background, I got my undergraduate degree in religious studies, and I always have to explain that I wasn't trying to become a priest. Um, I went to a public <laughs> university, and but just being curious about lots of different topics, uh, religious studies combines lots of different fields, whether it's history, sociology, psychology, literature, even arts, it's kind of limitless in that sense. Mm. And so I finished university in, in 2008, right when the financial crisis was was starting and not to say the religious studies degrees were you know high in demand from the forbes 100 companies <laughs> but i so I, my first job out of college was uh i worked in a restaurant i was living in new york then i moved to la i worked at a school for six months started studying arabic then i moved to egypt lived there for a year to, to learn arabic Whoa. after that uh moved to london while i was in egypt i met um the person who's now my my partner my day hi my day <laughs> <laughs> and um so yeah and then in london i got my master's degree in conflict studies and then after that moved to spain um since my partner's from here yeah and i started working as an english teacher it was the first job i could get and kind of the only job i could get because i didn't know spanish job market was also quite limited mm-hmm. and so i started teaching lots of private classes i had students that were working in tech and now i'm in touch with them for different things i'm doing so it's nice. interesting how those things you know came back and after four years well in the second year of it teaching english just as like a side project i started a youtube channel that was called this is english yeah where I would just get on camera and do really silly things. I had a friend, a former student who was, who was like obsessed with YouTube. He was like, we got to do something on YouTube. And I was like, what is, I don't want to be a YouTuber. That's like not really my thing. And I know nothing about this, yeah. but my parents put me in acting classes when I was a kid and I've always been pretty shameless. So I was like, okay, I guess I can do that. I'll do it. Yeah. And it was a complete, it, it was a complete failure. Oh, <laughs> We, we made about 50 videos and I think the maximum got like maybe a thousand views because I was just spamming absolutely everybody that I knew and sharing it in every possible place. What, <laughs> what year was this? And just not get this. Oh, this was, oh, this is such a long time ago. Um, this would have been in, and also realize how old I am. This would have been in about 2000, <laughs> in about 2013. Okay. And we would, we would record videos at my house or his house. And it was always like, let's just record this as quickly as possible. I hated having to repeat myself. Mm. And then I would pressure him to like edit everything as quickly as possible. Once again, not realizing that like you don't have to do that. (laughs) It would have been much smarter (laughs) to do what you're doing and to record lots of content all at once. And then you start putting it out there. So bottom line is, is that these videos, uh, eventually we started making videos about my experience as an American person living here. And... And that sort of shifted the tone and there was also much more interest and less competition because it was a niche. There were no, there were no other foreigners making videos about their experiences living here. 
And so that, that got a lot better responses because we realized we were offering something that was easier to engage with and that people would share and all that kind of stuff. Mm. These videos and then the fact that I had a, an ad on a, um, a website for teaching private English classes caught the attention of a British software development company that no longer exists. But they had a development center here in, in Bilbao, the city where I live. Okay. And they were having significant challenges around communication since most of their staff wasn't fluent in English. And they were having to communicate every day with people all over the world. Hmm. And it was uh, software that was being used for, for e-commerce. So this was, you know, when a lot of boom was going around, Black Friday, Singles Day, all that kind of stuff starting to use big data technologies, actually starting to use Kubernetes quite early on, first Mesos and then moving over to that. Yeah. So they were really having a lot of problems with this. So they brought me on and I started part of my time teaching. Then my boss on my first day was like, I want you to organize events and I want you to organize them in English. Like do, and I was like, okay, I've <laughs> never organized anything bigger than like concerts in college. Cause I played, I played guitar, I play guitar and drums yeah. and like a couple of birthday parties <laughs> and I'm not an organized person. I'm, you can ask my wife, you can ask everybody who knows I'm very disorganized, but I was like, okay. So then started contacting these students that I had had that were working in tech, mm. whether in banks or consulting, even local government. And I was like, Hey, I need to organize events around tech. Does anybody know anybody? And then leveraging the networks though, too, of, of there were about a hundred people in this dev center. Uh, some people had given talks a fair amount of times and, and also new people in the local ecosystem. I started attending meetups and, and meeting people there and then just contacting lots and lots of people on LinkedIn, getting established connections with universities, uh, other companies, like I said, local government, different initiatives there. Yeah. And, but it was really learning by doing and learning by failing a lot of trial and error. Um, so that's kind of how I found my way into tech. That's a, that's a crazy story. I love how it went from kind of your journey in, in your university career, your educational career, in kind of seeking out opportunities, right? And sure, it was the right opportunity at the right time and you jumped on it. But at some point, this is kind of the route that set you upon this path to go deeper into the tech sector, which is, I mean, it's weird how opportunity kind of finds you in that way, right? Were you always like, you never it's, probably thought you would end up here, I'm assuming. <laughs> yes and no, and more no than yes. But for a couple of different reasons, like my, my parents have changed careers and, and not because of like losing their jobs because they decided like, oh, I want to do this or do that. Now they're both retired and yeah. they're both very, very active. So I grew up around people that were always doing a lot of things and also my grandparents as well. Um, and then with my brother, my sister, whether it was, you know, sports or uh, leadership activities in, in school and things like that. And so for me, it just didn't seem that strange to like, get involved in different things. Like my mm. dad got his undergraduate in philosophy. My brother studied film and Latin American studies. Um, my sister, uh, early child education, but then later got in, has now gotten a lot, a lot into the art space. Yeah. My mom was a, uh, a school counselor and then um, worked for the local court system, helping families when they were getting a divorce and couldn't make decisions about where their children were going to go. And then she's now later involved in a lot of nonprofit work. So for me, it, it, it seems strange as well and feeling a little bit out of place, but then seeing all these different examples, like, well, actually I'm surrounded by other people that have done that. So it gives you the confidence that you can do it too. Yeah. And my parents have always encouraged me to, you know, not be afraid and to try new things. 
and believing in me. And so that's, that's something that I also try to transmit to others because of my background and my experience. And, it, and so, yeah, the, you know, someone once said like, Bart, your path may not be the most linear one, but you still find a way to get to the destination. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that still remains true today. Yeah. That's completely different from kind of my, I think, growing up environment. My dad was a security guard at one of the zoos in uh, in Amsterdam. He did that for 20 years, got laid off in COVID, but then still is doing more security stuff. And my mom teaches preschool kids. And just now, after like 20 plus years, finally said, uh, I'm going to do something else. But yeah, that's that's been the environment. It's like this 20 years, bam, that's it. And that was also kind of my, I guess, perception of how it supposed to be or how it could be or how it should be, I guess, back in the day. Uh, but I love that kind of, especially the tech space is non-linear, right? And you can try out a lot of things. Like you, you can figure out what you like and what you don't like. And there's different avenues for you to kind of establish yourself and find what you love to do. And even that can change and adapt over the future. And I love that also. I think you take a lot of your previous history with you. I'd love to know, like, because your journey is so non-linear, like, what do you leverage from what you've learned in the past and what you're doing now? Mm. That's a great, that's a great point. So yeah, that's, that's it, right? Is that I think, and I, I try to encourage folks to do this and I can do a better job myself, but you know, track the stuff that you're doing. Mm. And I do a lot of, I've done lots of workshops as well around like personal branding and things like that. And one of the first steps is like, get a photo of, you know, who you are, your values, your experiences, the people that you've worked with, and then extract from each one, the different learnings. And if you use a little bit of creativity, you can figure out how you can apply just about anything. Yeah. Um, and you know whether it's a, a summer job or a course that you took at one point or just different interactions that you've had with different people and what you've learned from them, that's something that I try to do often. And so that's the thing is like, I, you know, because of, I, I was working as a freelancer, like once I left uh, that, that British startup, I started working in video production, but I'm not, a video like producer in the sense of like, you know, video producer in the sense of organizing productions, storytelling, yeah. you know, working with customers and things like that. Yes. But I just was at an event uh, yesterday, <laughs> the day before in London, and it was my first time actually taking a camera to go and record. Okay. And today I'm going to be with the editor and we're going to sit down. He's going to want to kill me because I recorded too much. <laughs> um, and so that's going to be another learning process. But because of having been, you know, on the production side of organizing things for so many different events is like, well, now that I actually have a camera, quite simple, lightweight, easy to use, mm. I can go almost anywhere and start adding value in that sense too. So I think, I think a lot of it is, and, and a big thing in here too, is like, what's the smallest step that you can take towards that goal? It's like, all right, I want to become a, a DevOps or this or that. It does, it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. What's the smallest thing that you could start doing? So in my case with this is like, all right, I have the opportunity to go record it at an event. Is it going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Will I improve in the future if I keep doing it? Yes. So give yourself permission to make tons of mistakes and ask lots of questions. And But then, like I said, you start building on that. And that process is really fun. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. I mean, the road that you start on, right? If you take the same example, I want to be a DevOps engineer, is going to be long. And probably there's not going to be an end station when you say, okay, I've mastered everything. Uh, now there's nothing for me to learn because it's a continuous path and it's a continuous journey for you as well. So finding a way for you to start small and to start early and to allow yourself for mistakes is going to be kind of a, a starter to this whole journey because even 
I mean, I took the example, or I'm going to take your example of organizing something. I'm also not an organizer. So when you say I had to organize an event for a lot of people and even non-native speakers, and it should be in English, like that for me is like a huge, a huge hurdle. And sometimes I don't know how to break things down into small things to start doing something. Like how, from your perspective, if you have to organize something or if you have a huge task, how do you break that down into small bits? I could do a lot better job too in terms of breaking down into small bits. <laughs> One of the things that I, you know, learned about myself too with being diagnosed with ADHD is that there's a common tendency of ADHD people to like like to make long lists, mm. and, I, and it's true. I love making. And in the past, I, I didn't really do it, but now more and more when I tackle something, like I try to do a brainstorming. So just like just write down as many possible things as you can. Yeah. And I'm also lucky. Once again, non-technical person, but being around teams that use, you know, agile methodologies like Scrum, it's like, all right, we're not doing a waterfall delivery on this massive piece of software because we want to have iterations and continuous improvement. So we, you know, work in sprints, take a chunk and get it into smaller pieces. What's the smallest, you know, so it's like, all right, for this to happen, I've got to do all these different things. Then based on all the things I have to do, I even try to break them down to even smaller things, mm. but then they need to be assigned in, with a certain time because a lot of times it's overwhelming. I don't know how it is for you, but it's like for me, at least like feeling like I have to do everything all at once. It's like, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to put these things in order. We can color them priorities, you know, stuff like that. And also when I approach things, I always think about from a people perspective of who are people that can help me in this process and not just in the sense of like, Hey, can you do me a favor? I mean, sometimes you do need to ask for favors, but like, are there people who I can involve paying or not paying or I don't know what, you know, or an exchange of some kind where if there are certain tasks that I know I'm going to do very poorly, how can I involve them in that process so that increases the chances of success? I'm a big believer in as often as possible making things collaborative yep. because I know my limitations quite well. And so knowing those like, okay, if this particular thing looks challenging for me, who are some folks that, that can help and benefit in the process as well? I think creating environments where, you know, win-wins, big believer in that. But, and, there, and like, I, like I said, you know, we use Scrum and Scrum is applied very differently in lots of different places. Have you worked with agile methodologies at all? Yeah, yeah for sure. Like on a day-to-day. -day. Yeah. And, and I imagine as well too from, you know, content, like a podcast doesn't just fall from the sky. <laughs> you know, like you have to, you have to meet with the person or, you know, various, various steps in the workflow. And a big thing I think a lot of content creators that are starting out don't realize is that you might focus on just to when the podcast is recorded, but then there's a separate workflow or a continuation of the workflow that happens afterwards, you know, of editing, uh, making sure you send it over, planning when you're going to post it. Like, and so I think sometimes, or at least in my particular case, I don't know how is it you, like, I want to hear more about how you got started in this, but in the beginning it was like, once the recording's done, everything's done. It's yeah. just like when you have an event, like once the event finishes, no, then there's another process of following up and saying thank you and making sure sponsors were happy and doing metrics and a report and all that kind of stuff. But for you, how was it to get started in, in podcasting? Yeah, for me, I mean, one of the things that sounded like music to my ears is someone said this, I think this is a great idea. We do a lot with knowledge sharing and I want to do more with this. And I think a podcast is a great medium for that. And he said, I'm looking for a host and I'll facilitate whatever you need right? It's going to be your vision and I'll help facilitate that. So that collaborative aspect was there from the very start. I don't think I would start or I might've started. I mean, it's easy to say now I might've started. I don't think I would start basically if it was just me, because as I mentioned, like I see an uphill battle 
and the road is long and starting is the hardest thing. But because he said, I'll facilitate whatever you need, I was like, okay, I have an idea. I have a vision. This is kind of the things we need. And all of a sudden he said, okay, I, uh, I have an intro music and I uh, have the first guest and uh, we have a date now and it's scheduled. And uh, these are kind of the things we can think of. And all of a sudden that ball started rolling and it rolled real fast. Now that person is kind of more so out of the picture, but I mean, this is going to be like, I think this is episode 95 or something. Like now I have it down to a science, which is, it's basically a habit now. I wake up, I know exactly when an episode airs, I know exactly what needs to be done still, and I make it happen. But yeah, the beginning is so hard. Like even when I have, and I have lots of ideas in the things I do day to day, I love software engineering, but I also love more so the business aspects. So when I have an idea and I have to write a business plan to convince people or like collaborate with people and align people, then I just see an uphill battle. But when I sit down and actually do the stuff, oh, I'm rolling and I'm like, okay, this, I love doing this and it's never gonna end until it, some at some point it does end and I'm really proud of the things I do. But just starting things is really hard for me. I like finishing things and I like the middle of the road, but starting is like one of the hardest things. Do you start easy? Are you more of a starter or are you more of a finisher? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a wonderful question, and I, you know, I wish we could, you know, poll or that, you know, interview people that know me because they'll all tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you that starting whatever you want <laughs> and as many things as you want, <laughs> just fountains of you know starting. But the that but the thing is, like, this goes back to a lot of learnings that I've acquired in the last year because of my ADHD diagnosis. Mm. Is I like starting is like. Number one, you know, I should put that in my LinkedIn profile of like aptitudes and skills, like best starter you could possibly imagine. But then the other aspects is, you know, the war of attrition of like getting through the middle and getting to the end. Yeah. And so that's the thing is like, okay, so for people that aren't aware of, you know, ADHD stuff, I, uh, a normal brain or neurotypical or whatever, um, you know, you can have an idea, mm. you know, and there are people that are plenty creative and, and they have, you know, different ideas about different things. But in my case, in my case, what happens, it, not with every single idea, if not, then I'd be in a lot more trouble than I've already been. Um, if the idea is accompanied by its very good friend, uh, the wonderful friendship, impulse. Mm. So that the idea comes in all of a sudden the feeling of, and now I'm going to start doing this, forgetting that I have all these other things that I've already started that yeah. I'm going to be neglected. And in my head, you know, estimations, I don't know if you've read like Cal Newport. Have you read anything by Cal Newport? About no. like time management and stuff like that. I don't think oh, it's so. It's pretty no. cool. Um, so he has this whole thing about deep work, about you know um, how we live in the age of you know, the attention economy and um, solitude deprivation, not being able to focus. But his point out here that's, that I want to mention is like that estimations in general are off by at least 50%. So mm. like if you think, or uh, you know, up to 100, like if you think that someone's going to take one hour, it's probably going to take two. Yeah. So when I'm starting something, it's like, oh no, this is going to be super easy. It's going to do this, this, and this. And they were like, oh, what did I get involved in? So, yeah, like I said, that process of self-discovery has helped me get a wonderful person to work with me who's a screenwriter by trade, so very used to organizing film productions. Yep. And so his organizational skills are very helpful for me. So he's been a big part of, of me being able to get to where I am right now and also where I hope to get in the future. Um, but yeah, so like I said, <laughs> I can learn a lot from you about how to maintain and finish things. What are your secrets? <laughs> yeah, I... I don't know. Maybe I don't know where it comes from. I feel like when I have a flow, I can just go on endlessly. Like I've done video games where it's just, you know, those 
gotcha games on your smartphone where you just grind out stuff and it's uh it's the same thing or same thing ish it's still challenging but it's over and over and over again i feel like podcasting is similar like i love doing it but yeah i can do this endlessly and i don't know where that comes from i think i'm in the middle i i don't see an end i don't think there is an end at some point my video game stopped or i started working and i didn't have time anymore so i had to make a decision there but yeah it's always been like that i like grinding out a lot of stuff and i really don't like kind of the start hurdle of kickstarting things and getting things into motion because i think when i'm sailing it's smooth sailing but getting up a sail and hoisting everything and like figuring out i'm gonna say bye to land and going on sea like that's really hard for me i feel like uh but i love that you i I, I feel that go ahead no sorry i i love that you found kind of a collaborative aspect to kind of how do you say that balance the facets that you're really good at and the facets that you're less good at right and i think that's that's first of all really healthy and obviously that like synergizes really well if you have to get stuff done yeah and no i i I completely agree and a lot of this has been uh i encourage people to do uh, if you're not incorporating some kind of you know self-reflection at some point in your life it doesn't mean you have to spend 500 hours a week thinking about you know deeply about where you're at and what you're doing Think about the things that you that you find frustrating, and as when possible, try to find ways to make them easier for yourself. And if it's really possible, delegate them. And that's been a big process for me. Like I said, as I'm very aware of the things I'm not good at. So when I get involved in projects, always trying to make it as collaborative as possible. Going back to the like finishing stuff, though, I think part of it's you know a question of motivation. So like later today, I'm going to go with me with the editor, you know, edit some stuff. But then also in terms of Things that I really like to do, like something I've done recently is like recording videos of me playing different instruments because I play different instruments, like the bass you can see behind you, I have an electronic drum set right here as well. Nice. And those things, obviously it doesn't take a long time. And also I don't get obsessive over the quality because it's just something for fun to put out there. Um, And those sorts of things, yeah. But I think think a lot of it's defining the parameters when you're attacking, when you're, you know, when you're starting something is like, Okay, you know, classic thing, Stephen Covey, you know, the seven habits of highly successful people. And maybe I've, you know, half of one out of seven. <laughs> but the other thing, start with the end in mind. So, like, what does the end result look like? Like, what's the definition of success here? So, based on that, what are the steps that need to be taken in order to build towards that goal? And so, I think that's why it's having a realistic vision anytime you're starting something. And, and also, my problem too, being impulsive, is that. It's like, if I have this block, but then on the way that I realize, oh, I could add this or I could do that. I always need to go back and make sure like, how is it going to affect my ability to hit deadlines? Like all those kinds of things. Even yeah. if it adds a lot of value, it's not what was originally asked for. Um, so stick to the plan. And, and like I said, have a clear trajectory on that. I guess well, I have a question as well, too. You've talked to a lot of people uh, with a lot of different profiles. And I also like the fact of blending not just like the technical stuff but the business side yeah. what have been your biggest learning since you got involved in this for me i mean especially in the technical domain it's like communication is key to a lot of problem solving and for some reason we don't communicate enough or we don't give each other room to like voice opinions or we don't even want to listen to the other person sometimes i feel like if a lot of people just step back listen to what the other person has to say and really listen like without an agenda or without like trying to voice your opinion or persuade someone I think we actually hear each other then better. And because of that, the collaboration aspect would be better. And because of that, I think the end result will then be better. Because I think somehow, like even in a team, I feel like a group of individuals just comes together and the less they listen to each other, the less actual team forming happens. So the faster you actually like 
put your opinions on the side and listen to what the other person has to say and figure out how to do this thing together, like the collaboration aspect, I think the better your end result will be and the more you will operate as a team and even as an organization. For some reason, we just don't give people the time and attention they deserve. And time is a like difficult factor because time and deadlines come from like a higher management and gets like put strain on teams and they do weird things when shit hits the fan and when there's tight deadlines, right? So that's like, I love that realization and that has come through both the technical side as well as kind of more of the business-oriented episodes I've done. Is that something you've seen that's, as well? Yeah. Oh, no, no, I love that. I think that's a great insight because like a, a lot of stuff with the technical stuff is understanding that if you don't have the non-technical things established, and I want to take this point further about, you know, listening, is that if you don't have those sorts of things established, your technical stuff is not going to happen. If yeah. you do not, because I worked in talent management, so like if you do not, if you do not create environments where where people are then able to actually use their technical skills properly, like you said, if there's not an environment where listening is happening, that's going to create bitterness. That's going to create resentment. That's going to create situations where people will want to leave the company, a lot of toxicity, and that ultimately is going to affect, you're talking about your ROI, you're talking about your business goals. Well, what kind of processes, spaces, and procedures are you establishing so that people can genuinely be productive, not in the sense of like a part of a, I mean, you can think of it as a part of a machine, but like, I'm not saying as an exploited resource, but to really do things to the best of their ability. I've taught a lot of, uh, actually uh, next week I'm teaching uh, a public speaking class and I've done this a lot, but I always say it's great to learn how to speak, but how many classes are offered about listening? Yeah. I mean, have you ever taken a class on listening? Just totally curious. No, no, never. No, I don't know why. And, and, like, I think a lot of people have said you're a good listener, first and foremost, like at work and as especially now with the podcast as well, people feel heard, but I don't know what I do differently. Like, I think it's maybe genuine curiosity, which is a hard thing to kind of train, I feel like. But yeah, I, I do really like want to know where someone's coming from or where that opinion is coming from. And I don't really care if I'm right or wrong, as long as we choose for the best result, basically. And I see that if I'm just a bystander, like a third party, and I see people arguing, I can clearly tell if they're not hearing each other. And I can call them out on that and they'll be like, oh, yeah, no, that's not what I meant. Oh, yeah, what, why do you think that? Like, it's just a weird thing that people don't have it. And I don't know how to train for that, which is a hard thing as well. But, but that's the thing is I think, I think there's actually a, a silent demand for precisely that kind of training. And for people that have never been exposed to that saying, hey, look, you know, maybe this would be a good idea that we can think about how we can listen to each other better. This relates to a point that was mentioned by a good friend of mine who's a CTO uh, at a company in the Netherlands, Fabian Met, massive shout out, is the importance of problem solving, right? Because problem solving at the end of the day is, I don't want to say 99% of what we do, but, you know, in software, it's like, we need to get this installed and we have these issues that are going on. But in order to actually be able to tackle those things, there needs to be consensus. Before attacking a problem, people need to agree what the problem is. And then, of course, the steps that will have to be taken for it to be removed as, uh, as an issue. But in order for people to have consensus, there needs to be spaces where people can get their ideas out there and aren't judged and that it's okay to be wrong and that it's not a problem. And so building those, I don't know, human, sociological, psychological spaces where People feel like they're not going to be judged or criticized and things like that is absolutely essential. And so I think there is, like I said, I think there's a silent demand that's very high um, in organizations to create 
environments so that those conversations can happen so that people take a deep breath they remember like it's a job it's not the end of the world and and perhaps to distance a little bit the personal attachment to certain things egos that can get involved and so anyway i, I love i love what you shared there because i think that listening is such an undervalued skill and you don't just listen with your ears you listen with your eyes with your body language with your tone with what something i'm trying to improve is once again, ADHD being impulsive, thinking about my response before I just start putting out there. Cause a lot of, of bad habits that I've ingrained is just like the faster something's done, the better. That's not true. Yep. And sometimes the first thing that you say may not be the best thing. So like taking that deep breath, and when I say deep breath, not just physically breathing is like getting into your head and be like, okay, what are, you know, how am I going to structure this? How am I going to frame this? And so, yeah, I think there's, there's tons, there's tons of, you know, room for improvement regarding uh, all things related to listening. It's almost like they should have like a department and every, or like lead list, chief listening officers. But I mean that yeah. because to get, to empower other people inside organizations to have those skills means in, an immense potential uh, for lots of improvement and better collaboration, cooperation. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking my gears are churning because I want to do more with conferences and I want to stand more on stage and I've had a really hard time figuring out like what am I really good at and what do I like want to talk about like I can pick a technical topic and and figure out how we solved it and put that in a nice format but I feel like yeah, everyone's doing that and is it really going to be different and hasn't it already been covered those thoughts are there but maybe an interesting take would be like how to listen within a team and it can be in a small team or a bigger team or an organization maybe that's what I want to talk about that's what I'm really thinking. Yeah. Right no, I'd, I'd go to that conference. Yeah, really? Um, yeah, no, I think, I think, like I said, as, and I think as you rightfully pointed out, with technical content, you can still, you can add those human elements. You can incorporate that saying like, how do we solve this problem? We use this software, but actually we use really good listening, you know, before we started, you know, applying our solution. But then the other part of it, just like doing a deep dive, particularly on that topic, which of course will have connections with, you know, uh, storytelling around um, technical projects. But no, I think there's definitely uh, plenty of room for that. And is there anything that you've done? Like, you know, is this a, when did you, you know, yeah, okay, but I get with the podcast because you, you talk to a lot of people and you're listening to things like that. Is, is this something that you've noticed, you know, in your family as well? Like in my case, like I would say both my parents are good listeners, but depending on what kind of advice or feedback I'm looking for, like I'll consult one or the other. I can also consult both simultaneously. Mm. Um, you know, my partner is obviously a good source of, of listening as well. But who have been like influences on you that have helped you grow as a good listener? As a good listener, that's that's a hard one. I think the thing is, I don't know if that's like a late realization, but right now, if I'm talking to someone and I can see like I'm not really being heard, like I see that more often now than I did before. And when I do see someone that's actually listening, when I just stop talking, they don't immediately jump in because they're actually listening to what I'm saying. Then I'm like, okay, this person's actually listening to what I'm saying. So those perceptions, I now so more see. But when it comes to actually developing this skill, I don't know what it's always been. Like like you, I think I I need to, how do you say that? Stimulate my brain in a way that I, I, I feel comfortable with it. That's a weird phrase. But I'm going to take it a step back. What I used to do a lot is video gaming. And at some point, again, you get quite skilled at the game you're playing, but it's still entertaining to a point where you want to get better and you want to get good at it. But for me, it was more so I, I go into auto mode and this is more so churning. 
So what I used to do a lot was just listening to podcasts. I've done that for, I, I don't know if it's a, it's not a decade. Is it a decade? Is 10 years a decade? I forget the word in, in Dutch. <laughs> Last time I checked. <laughs> it is, right? Yeah. No, I forget the word in yeah. Dutch. That's why I get confused. But it's, oh, it's no, been no, over sorry, a decade. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't help you out very much with Dutch. Um, my Dutch is very limited. Um, yeah. uh, gratis and donkey. Well, I think about as far as, far as horrendous yeah. pronunciation on top. Those are really good, Dutch though. Is a very difficult language to pronounce cor uh, correctly. Um, now, that's cool, though. But I think like, I think people should be thinking about, you know, role models of or like positive influences of like good listeners. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and I think another thing that I've been trying to employ lately regarding listening is it because also once again, in public speaking, powerful silences, right? You give just a little bit of an extra gap between a couple words here and there, or before you started another sentence yeah. and it helps out a lot. And same thing with listening. So when somebody tells me something, and I really want to show them that I care. I will not, I'm trying not to fall into the trap of just like immediately coming right back with my answer. And sometimes too, because like you said, when you can tell people aren't really listening is that you say something and then they're not responding to what you said, which means they're not internalizing it and they're only focusing on their thing. And so it's like, well, you're not really listening. You're just being polite enough to wait until I finish and right back with, it. <laughs> yeah. uh, with your, with your speech, with your, with your dead dog, with your whatever. And so when someone more and more, um, when somebody tells me something and I really want to show that one, well, not just want to show, but when I'm really focused, it's like, I want to wait a little bit and honor what they've said with a little bit of space so that that sentence, you know, that last point that they've made, is kind of hanging in the air mm. and we're, we're appreciating it. We're giving it time to absorb and thinking about the, the different, the different things that we can do with it. And it's really, I really encourage people to do it because for me, at least it's, uh, it's quite fun. I, yeah. But like I said, I think thinking about, you know, role models for listening and like you said, listening to podcasts is helpful. It's such a great format to, and I, I'm not saying I'm not wonderful <laughs> to see on video, of course, but what I'm saying is that it's, um, it, it stimulates different parts of your brain. I don't know. There must be neuroscience around this yeah. and be, because it's audio, but there's still a visual component to listening because at least in my case, it's like, I'm sort of creating, um, I don't want to, it's almost like the podcast is a soundtrack for a film that I'm like directing in my head mm. in the same way that sometimes music will have that effect for me as well too, that, you know, different kinds of music gives you different kinds of moods might make you like imagine different situations or memories or stuff like that. And what I love about podcasting is like, that's the thing is that you get to, you get to become, like I said, sort of empowered as a, as, as, like I said, almost as if you're, you're writing the story too, um, because it's how you're perceiving it in your head. And, and it's a lot of fun. So what yeah. podcast do you listen to? I, I used to listen to, there's one, and that's from like the, the old Call of Duty era, I guess, especially on YouTube. It's called PKA, Painkiller Already. Painkiller was like one of the perks of that video game. But they talk a lot about, first and foremost, their own personal lives, and they're all YouTubers, as well as video games and just what they do on a day-to-day. -day. And that show has now evolved and it has like, I think, 600 plus episodes. I haven't listened to it in a while. But the first, I'm, I think, 200. I've listened to all of the episodes probably about three or four times because also I would have favorites and I would just put it on repeat and there weren't any more episodes back in the day back then. Uh, that was a big one. Then I, I discovered Joe Rogan, which is obviously one of the, the biggest pillars in the podcasting community. And as of late, I've listened to less and less just because of time-wise, I'm traveling less. But 
what I do think is that podcast is interesting because you can speak, but no one's going to hear you, right? Because you're listening into a conversation. You're a fly on the wall. And the only thing you're doing is listening in. And sure, you can have your thoughts and you can vocalize them, but no one's going to hear them. So I think listening to podcasts in and of its own, that might be kind of the way you teach yourself or you train that listening skill that you have because there's nothing else you can do. You're just listening there. It'll just like when you're reading, you're training yourself to process information through reading. I think it's the same with podcasting. And that might be actually how I got better at listening now that I've thought about it. You're, do you have that as well? Because no, you, you mentioned you listen to a lot of podcasts as well. Yeah. And in, in different kinds, in, in, in some ways, you know, to, to different kinds of stuff. So like I listen to a religious studies podcast because they just talk about like, like they go deep on like niche topics of like, we're going to look at the arrival of this particular religion in this island in the 1600s. And mm. it's just these random things that you get exposed to. And, and then also, um, what I, I think, but I want to mention another point too, is that it's for a lot of people that are thinking about, oh, I'd like to start a podcast, right? Because it seems like everybody wants to do it. It's a lightweight format. It's relatively easy to get started, you know, in terms of setup costs and stuff like that. The, but a really important thing about listening to good podcasts or ones that have a lot of, you know, people that are a lot of listeners, lots of downloads, et cetera. Why are they listening? Right. And I, I, I really don't want to say this in a negative way, but as someone, like I said, when I had my first YouTube channel and stuff like that, it was just an absolute disaster. It's because we weren't thinking enough and getting feedback, you know, be feedback obsessed about what are people actually interested in watching? You know, what's in it for them? Going back to this thing of the attention economy, I highly recommend people to check this out because there's a lot of really good insights as to why is someone going to care about your content? Right? Like, uh, for example, this this conversation we're having right now, who knows how many people are going to listen to it and what they're going to get out of it? You know, what's the value prop? You've really got to put yourself in other people's shoes and think selfishly for them. Why are they going to care? Chances are when you're starting out, you're going to make lots of mistakes unless you're focusing on a super mega niche where you have a lot of very detailed knowledge on a particular subject. Yeah. But to stand out is really hard because so many people are doing it. So you got to be thinking about What's going to, you know, what's the hook? What's in it for this person? Don't ask, offer. What are you offering your listeners? And so with different podcasts, it's different things that you get offered. Like I said, with the religious studies thing, I get to reconnect with my university experience and feel like my degree was worth something, that it was worth going into lots of student loan debt. Um, with other podcasts, the one that I've listened to most loyally for the last five years, and it's actually, it's been incredible because I've been able to meet um, some of the founders, sound engineers, people that have been involved in it. It's called Ear Hustle. Mm. And it's a, it's a podcast that's produced by uh, incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people in San Quentin Prison in California. And it's become now nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Like it's done, they've created a book. Like they're now on, I feel bad about not knowing exactly how many seasons are done, but like nine or 10, the original host, um, was released from, from prison uh, some years ago, and now others are also getting out. And I was able to meet in person a wonderful human being um, who goes by his artistic name is Maserati E. Shout out mm -hmm. to him. And so being able to connect with them because the stories are so powerful. Yeah. And it's also from people whose voices we never hear and who deserve to be listened to. And it's extremely powerful. It's not for every audience because a lot of some of the stories are very hard. But at the end of the day, it's an extremely human experience. And so that's the value that I get from it. There are a lot of other things that people might, um, but it's the reminder that 
incarcerated people and formerly incarcerated people are people yeah. and they have emotions and stories and successes and failures just like the rest of us. And there's just a lot that can be learned from that. So anyway, that's that's been like one of my go-to ones. And then now I'm listening to, an, uh, anyway, but like on the technical side with, with Kubernetes, when I got into the data on Kubernetes community, I was absolutely terrified. Like, yeah, I've been working in tech, I'm not a developer. I'm not a DevOps. You know, I don't have that, those technical chops. Mm. And so I was crushed by imposter syndrome. I was like, I got to start listening to stuff and I don't care what it is. Yeah. And I, I run. So when I go for runs, listen to Kubernetes podcasts. And then I would stop when something interesting comes up. I send like a message. I have a doc. And so I just like write down names or stuff like that. Look at the show notes. That's been very, very helpful for me. So I do recommend People, no matter what field you're getting into, there's somebody out there who's creating content around it. Yeah. And if they're not, maybe that's a niche that you can fill. I like that a lot. I, I was smiling pretty with a big smile because I recognized myself in there when I used to run and listen to audiobooks or podcasts. And it's something interesting would pop up. I would stop and make a note. I do jump roping as well. And that's it makes it easier to stop and be like, put it away and, <laughs> and make a note. Just for thoughts. And I, I mean, writing it down gets me thinking and I can read back to it later. I, I write a lot more notes than I read back, sure, but it does help me and it, right it kind of anchors. <laughs> Absolutely the same. Yeah, yeah. It kind of anchors that yeah. information. But, like, but that's ahead. it. That's it. And then you don't have the stress of like, oh, I hope I don't forget this. No, no, no. You write it down. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Maybe, and like you said, maybe you won't look at it later. But if, but it's it's very helpful to be more proactively consuming that information and then putting it putting the information to some kind of actions, um, however small they might be. But yeah. I, I definitely agree that it's very very useful to do that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you mentioned like, this was one of my thoughts I had as well. Coming from a non-technical background and finding yourself in a technical space, I think imposter syndrome is going to confront you at some point. Did you like through yeah. researching, did you kind of figure out how to deal with it by gaining the knowledge that you thought you were unaware of initially or you were actually unaware of initially or what has helped you kind of face imposter syndrome? Wow. Yeah, this is something I've talked about a fair amount, but now looking at today and the conversation that we're having, it's interesting the different things we've talked about. Um, uh, I'll probably give a slightly different answer, more nuanced, I suppose, because I'm asked quite often. And I'm very, I'm very open about it. Like I've never written a line of code in my life. And I've thought about different times. And now there's actually a thing you can do with programming that relates to music. And I want to check that out more because if I can find something that's more related to something that I already like, it's going to be easier. But in the beginning, it was really hard. And, but I, I, it's interesting too, is that I had also confronted it when I started working for that British software development company, because I didn't know anything. And, and, and so I probably needed to give myself more credit, mm. but the problem was is that in the, in the beginning, you know, doing interviews with really talented, extremely experienced database engineers, um, SREs, people with very high profiles in both vendors and end user, you know, organizations. And so I get in there, I'm like, well, what am I supposed to ask this person? And I mean, I, and now, and now I can kind of, you know, I, I can, I can run with it because I, I know enough of the different areas and, and trends and pain points and things like that, yeah. that even if I'm not understanding, I know full disclosure, sometimes 70 to 80% of their answers, because they're getting lots of technical details, I can follow along and I know the buzzwords, yeah. but my ability to say like, I obviously I can't say oh, the same thing happened to me when I spun up that cluster. <laughs> I can't say that. <laughs> and so I have to then look at other angles. It means two different things. In my case, getting, and I want to do this more, getting a co-host who has those technical chops because they're going to be excited about talking to this person and they will be able to dive deeper than on those areas 
that the other person would like to go deeper on mm. with me, then it might be a little bit limited or I can contextualize and tell them beforehand, like, Hey, just so you know, run wild with the technical stuff as much as you want, or tell me questions that you would like me to ask you. That's what we have on our, our speaker form is like, what questions would you like to be asked? And, and then also, you know, sourcing questions from different people. But for example, like you get different kinds of acronyms, um, in, 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 you know, like with Kubernetes, whether it's, you know, cube, cube CTL, but a lot of people say cube cuddle or, you know, like, yep. uh, at first I was like, RBAC and they're like, no, everybody says RBAC and they're like, whoops, <laughs> <laughs> so learn it, learn it by doing and failing. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, it was really, really hard. I would say for a lot of folks though, too, is just that it's really important if you can get feedback from people that can be gentle, but also to remind you, this is a big thing, right? I've been my own worst critic, like number one worst critic is me of me. And, you know, somebody, somebody asked me the other day, uh, but you know, like, is there someone who's telling you that you're really bad at a lot of stuff? I was like, well, there is it's me, me. Apart <laughs> yeah. from that, yeah, but, then, but apart from that, like, I don't have like, um, and, and I don't say this in the sense of saying, oh, wow, I'm so good or whatever, but, but it's, but it is, is that I think we're just too hard on ourselves very often. So that's why getting feedback, I waited too long to ask other people in the community space, like, Hey, I have no idea if this is going well or not. Like, can you please like, let me know a little bit of either a, you know, how I'm doing well or how I'm doing on these particular areas and then B much more importantly, how I could improve them. Yeah. Because that saves you time and suffering. Like I suffered so much because of not knowing. And and I and also in the beginning too, like, okay, vanity metrics. Obviously, everyone wants to see more subscribers, more downloads, more of this, more of that. And then there's also, you know, qualitative things about how many and you know, how many people from our community are creating content to bring other people, you know, to the community. Like I, you know, how many conversations are we having with top level people and end user organizations? And it's not just a number, but just the fact that you're doing it or like consciously aware of it. I would say if I could go back again, I definitely would have reached out, used the, once again, leveraging my network of people that I know that could have said like, hey, like, you know, um, I think just so you know, when I did this, I did it this way or that way. So I would say feedback and also the importance of mentoring, which is another way of guaranteeing feedback. Get in touch with somebody, ask if they're willing to meet. Once every two months, you have a document where you can put down doubts and things like that. So a lot of it can be done asynchronously and you can meet, like I said, once a month, once every two months for a 30 minute call, even a 15 minute call. Say like, Hey, this is where I'm at. I just want to check this and this and that. And for your mentors as well, too, if there's anything you can offer them in exchange, you know, in my case, it's like, Hey, I can make a video or we can do this or we can do that. I can, you know, contacts, networking, whatever you put in, you know, like, what is it? How can I help you? And I think there's always a way that you can get some kind of an exchange there. But I mean, in your case, have like, what kind of feedback do you seek out? Have you ever thought about having a mentor? Do you have a mentor without knowing that it was actually a mentor, just someone who gives you advice? What's, what's your experience there? Yeah, I mean, especially early on, right? When you were in that place and you don't really feel comfortable in those conversations or those meetings or even the sometimes the work environment, especially if you're new and early on, I would ask someone I trusted that was in that conversation or in that environment, like, and tell them, this was a difficult conversation for me. Like, how did I come across for you? And I would ask that to some people I trusted, some people I really didn't have a connection with yet. And that brought us closer together. And they gave me honest feedback. They were like, well, these are the things I saw. And these are the things I then responded with. And they were like, oh, I didn't, I didn't see any of that. 
right? Because your perception of yourself is a very critical one, a very harsh one. I 100% recognize that. And I agree with you, right? That puts a burden on you. That is stress, innate stress. And if someone can load off that burden and be like, well, these are the things you do really well. And these are the things I think you can focus on. And sometimes they won't even say what you can focus on because they only saw like the positive things, even though you have all the negative things in your head. I think that's such a relief listening to someone say that and giving you that feedback. You also have to be like a little bit less harsh on yourself when someone give you criticism and critique, right? Because that is feedback that comes from a good place. That means they care and they can see you do better with the things they have in mind. And with that in mind, you can be less harsh on yourself and focus on something you can work with and work towards. I think that's a way more healthy mindset than just being in isolation and trying to figure out if you're doing the right thing. Just taking that step and asking for someone to give you feedback, I think is going to be very, very much a relief in your career journey. Much, much agreed. And I think that's, it's as simple as saying, this is my perception. Yeah. And that's the thing we have to tell ourselves, like, a perception is just a perception. Bounce that off somebody else saying, do you, would you agree? Or maybe I'm off here. And yeah. in my case, I've been very off about a lot of things, but I needed that confirmation from someone external who I trust and respect. And, and sometimes, you know, and from multiple angles and multiple sources, I would also say, culturally speaking, Dutch people are better equipped to get and give feedback because Dutch people and compared to Americans are much more direct. <laughs> So yeah. like, and I love that. And same thing, like I work with an amazing person, uh, Sylvain Kalash, who's French. And for French people, nothing is ever good enough. Everything mm. is always shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, but that's really healthy yeah. because it pushes you to do better. Also, once again, respect yourself and, and all that kind of stuff. What I say about that is because being American, Americans are classic for like dancing around, you know, something that's bad. Mm. Say, oh, it's phenomenal. And it's like, oh, if you hear that, I mean, it's probably awful. Yeah. Um, or that it's, it's interesting. I've heard that one. It's different. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, that's different. That's interesting. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> this <is> total crap. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why it's like, uh, but I understand they do it out of the intention not to offend you or whatever, but they're so terrified of offending you that they end up offending you more by not telling you the truth. <laughs> and once again, I'm generalizing, it's a country of 323 million people don't get angry <laughs> Americans. And I, and I do that too. Like I completely do that because I don't want to, I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. But if they're genuinely asking, you can say it in a nice way. And say, yeah. once again, this is just my perception. Here's my feedback. Ask somebody else, you're going to get a different answer. But I think it's really important to build that into any process that you're doing in your life um, so that you, you don't beat yourself up too much, that you're realistic. And so that's why a lot of people stop their ideas because they're expecting too much in the first two episodes or the first you know three podcasts or whatever they're doing. Yeah. And it just takes time. And most of the time, your first things are probably not going to be very good, or at least in my case. But that's just part of the process of getting to the next step. Yeah. Um, in your case, you were very lucky that you just showed up and had to start talking. Most people <laughs> exactly. don't have that. Um, no, I count my blessings. But, but it's great. Nice. And I'm, I'm really happy for you <laughs> that was your case. Um, so yeah, this is great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have one final question, which I still had in mind yeah. of asking, because you're one of the few people that actually puts their Canonly link somewhere on their social media. Like I saw it, it's on your Twitter. Uh, I don't know if it's yeah. on your LinkedIn, but people can reach out to you and schedule something and have a conversation with you. First of all, do a lot of people do that? Because I assume like a lot of people would. And then second of all, like what is the most interesting conversation you've had through that? Oh, wow. That's really good. 
So yes, my Calendly link is on my Twitter. I actually probably should put on my LinkedIn. But one of the things that I'm working on in terms of organizing myself better is having very specifically blocked off times for specific things. Mm. So I imagine you as well with podcasting, you know, like, all right, do the recordings on Fridays, we do it on Mondays, whatever. Yeah. And and so for me, once again, the barn of the past was like, I'm available at all hours to do everything that I do. And that's <laughs> a really bad idea. That's hard. And it's been, um, and, and, but it's a big learning. And so now it's like, okay, these calls and these things happen on these days. There will be exceptions because global, you know, you talk to people all over the world and I do too. And so I always got, you know, India's either three and a half or four and a half hours ahead, depending on the time of the year, California is nine hours behind, except for one part of the year where it's eight, <laughs> you know, it's different things. Uh, but so yeah, in, in that sense with the Calendly is that, and I'm really going to add more focus to it because of you know, starting to interview folks that are in the community space, interviewing folks that are in the ADHD space, so that everything's very well targeted and very well explained. And that also on every Calendly link, in order for me to be better prepared for the call to get as much out of it, is informing the person, can you please send over these three, you know, three answers to these questions before we have the conversation to be as productive as possible for me as well as for them. And that way I can prepare, I can be thinking about, okay, these are the different things I can do here and there. So going back to your question though about like, what kind of conversations am I having I do a lot of mentoring conversations um, yeah. with young people that are in the Kubernetes space and they need mentoring for guidance on how to get started contributing to open source projects like Kubernetes. I've had so many conversations about this that I'm actually going to create some videos that I want to share with them before we meet so that then they can already be prepared. Because when you see that you're answering the same question all the time, it's okay. It's not a problem for me, but to make it easier for others out there to get to the next step, it's like, don't worry. I just took care of the first few steps for you. Yeah. Now you just, you just got to watch these follow the action points, and then we'll move on. Once we have a conversation, then we'll actually be talking about something that's more of an advanced phase. Right. So I do a lot of calls around that. And also, you know, as by extension, everyone's always thinking about, you know, how can I get a job, internship, stuff like that. So my favorite things that I've done in in my professional experience been working with, yeah, working with younger folks and also unemployed people mm. and being able to be a, a part of like those situations, even if the smallest step where like you see that you can have an impact and make a difference those things like i would pay to have those opportunities so like those are those like i said most of the things are, are around that but i learn a lot because of the questions and doubts that people have and i've learned that i can provide a space where it, 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 because i always say it like this it's like a doctor or a psychologist like, mm. if you don't tell me your problems i can only i can only help you as much as you're willing to share your because if I don't know them, I can't possibly propose anything. And perhaps I may know somebody, I have an extensive network, I spend a lot of time connecting with people with different initiatives. And so the more information you give me and the more precise it is, the, the better this is gonna be for everybody. And uh, so like I said, a lot of the conversations are around that. I'm definitely excited to branching out to other areas. And, in, in, and, I, and I love what you're doing of, you know, talking to people that are in a technical or business space, but then you also involve lots of other elements. I'm not saying I'm trying, I want to try to copy you, but, but, but no, is that I think these kinds of conversations are wonderful and to do it in public is even better because not only is it good for, you know, your own learning journey, but it, a lot of other people, it gives them lots of different opportunities to connect with different elements. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it's amazing. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to have, like, I, and then, and then now, like I said, with the ADHD thing, I'm going to, I'm, you know, having more conversations with people. First, we just do like an intro call as you do as well, which I think is great. 
because then it's going to guide you a little bit more like, yeah, I do have a standard format with ADHD thing. With ADHD people, you don't need any format because we can be talking about Jurassic Park and then we can be talking <laughs> about the stock market. So it doesn't matter um, in the same sentence. And But still, I think it's helpful for the audience that we're always tackling certain things. Yes, there's going to be room to go around to different areas. Also, from a content organization perspective, in my case, then I know that I can separate these things into chunks. You can have quote videos, things like that. It makes it easier because if someone sees, oh, a 45-minute recording, that's a big ask. Yeah. I say, like, no, no, don't worry. I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to show you the highlights. So anyway, these are the conversations that, that I'm having and, and looking to have more. I like that. I'm, I'm thinking about doing that myself as well. I think that could be an interesting experiment just to see what conversations and what problems people have and why they come to me in the first place with those. I think just that it's an interesting experience and a learning for me. But I've loved this conversation so far, Bart. I'm going to round it off here. I love talking about podcasting, listening, uh, everything to do with kind of your career and your perception on things. I could do this all day, actually. I could go on for hours. But at some point, we actually have to end off the episode. So that was what that's what I'm going to do. Is there anything you'd still like to share with our audience before we round off? Um... Get, hit me up. I, mean, like, I like talking to people of all different kinds of backgrounds. And what's one of the cool things as well, too, about being a freelancer is that I get to touch so many different areas. And in, 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 for, in different positions, some people may not have that kind of freedom. It's like I can be doing this over here in one moment and I can be doing something else in another area. But I love talking to people. I love learning from people. And so, yeah, just and particularly as well, too, for non-technical folks that are in very technical spaces, that's something that I'm really interested in doing more as well. And so, yeah, but people can see all the different things I'm involved in. I feel like that's something might be interesting to, to reach out and see what's going on. i um, be more than happy to do so. I'll be in Amsterdam in April. I don't know when this will be coming up, but whether this is in the past or the future. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but anyway, I hope to be able to hang out with you in person Absolutely. too. And um, yeah, this is wonderful. So thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bart. Feel free to hit him up. I mean, his, uh, his Cantley is on his LinkedIn, so that'll be fun. <laughs> See how many people hit you up from the podcast. But in any case, yeah. thank you so much for listening. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all Bart's socials in the description below. Check him out. And with that being said, we'll see you on the next one.